Hi, I'm Alex Bellinger, and this is Small Biz Pod on Thursday, the sixth of May. Well, it's election day in the UK here, and uh, we'll we'll see what happens to the UK political scene tomorrow. Whether we'll have a a revolutionary hung parliament or a, or a, a new strong government in place. We'll see. Uh, Lots to debate there, but not in this podcast. This podcast is really one of the most inspirational interviews I've done for a long while, and I'm sure you'll enjoy it. It's with um, uh, an intriguing and excellent entrepreneur called Bill Liao, who, uh, among other things, was the co-founder of the very well-known business social network Zing. But uh, before we go into that interview with uh, Bill Liao, of uh, co-founder of Zing, I just want to say a really big thank you to uh, Small Biz Pod sponsors, without whom none of this, as they say, would be possible. So, first off, um, a big thank you to Bibby Financial Services. Uh, they sponsored uh, the event that we put on in London in February and are sponsoring the podcast. They're the UK's number one invoice financing company and they have a comprehensive range of cash flow finance offerings uh, for UK businesses and, and indeed businesses across Europe. Uh, they've got local offices around the country for quick and easy decision making and uh, the ability to provide your business with an immediate cash injection of up to £50,000. So do check out what Bibi has to offer. Also, uh, XLN Telecom, a great startup story in their own right. One of my favourite uh, startup businesses in the UK. Been going a long while now. They've got over a quarter of a million um, small business customers, and they provide fantastic deals on telecoms, broadband, and mobile for, as I say, UK businesses. Um, so do your business a favour and uh, save some money on your telecoms by checking out the deals they've got to offer. Just uh, head over to smallbizpod.co.uk and click on one of the XLN telecom banners there. And finally, three sponsors in one show, um, audible.co.uk. We all love Audible. Uh, audio books, 30,000 of them in their catalogue in the UK, uh, the biggest provider. Um, and really just wonderful, wonderful entertainment and information and uh, a great array of books for business and pleasure. So um, Small Biz Pod listeners can download a free copy of uh, any book from the catalogue. But this week, I would like to recommend one in particular, and that is uh, called Crush It by uh, the internet internet or social media phenom, as they say in the US, Gary Vinerchuk, who's a wine entrepreneur and, as I say, social media sensation, an incredible book and uh, definitely worth listening to for all aspiring and existing uh, entrepreneurs. Just head over to audible.co.uk forward slash smallbizpod or click on one of the Audible banners on our site. So let's go straight into uh, this week's interview. Okay, well, on today's episode of Small Biz Pod, I'm really delighted to have um, Bill Liao, who is, uh, I suppose, best known as the uh, co-founder of one of the the biggest uh, business-to-business social networking sites, and that is Zing.com, which will be familiar to, to many listeners. But Bill, in many respects, I think, is uh, is as an entrepreneur, a business person for our times, and and has fascinating um, insight and outlook on life, um, and indeed uh, has uh, recently uh, written a book, which we'll come on to talk to, which is 
one of the most unusual business books, certainly that I've uh, ever read, um, and has insights for people beyond business. It's 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 about life. It's about your approach uh, to life, and um, yeah, we'll we'll come on to that. But uh, Bill, thanks for being with us on Small Biz Pod today. Thank you very much, Alex. Now, um, first of all, uh, I guess you know you're you kind of. Made, I know you had a, a business career in Australia with a, a very successful um, uh, IPO of a, of a telecoms company, um, but you, you kind of shot to, to prominence, I suppose, um, it, certainly in the online world, uh, as the co-founder of Zing. Tell us a little bit about how you got from Australia to setting up a, a German-based social networking site. Well... Davnet was, in Australia, the, the fastest capital appreciation of any company in the Australian Stock Exchange's history. And after doing that, I was, well, quite tired, actually. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and so I thought, wow, you know, where do I want to be in the world? And I decided that Europe was a really excellent um, place to to look for new business opportunities and also to try and find the, the a sort of bridge between Asia and and uh, the US uh, yeah. sort of middle ground and so we moved to Switzerland and I'm actually was a, a big fan of the Grand Prix uh-huh and as soon as they make it electric I'll be a fan of it again <laughs> yes. um, <laughs> and I was standing in the queue for the helicopter from Nizza to Monaco. And this tall gentleman in front of me turned around and said, Hi, I'm, I'm Lars Hinrichs and I love uh, networking. And uh, who, you know, you know, who are you? Mm. And I said, Well, actually, Lars, I'm, I'm Bill and I also love networking and uh, it's great to meet you. And we became firm friends. And then in, in, that was in 2001. And in 2003, uh, Lars contacted me again. We, you know, we'd been talking and he said, Look, I'm so frustrated with Microsoft Outlook. Mm. You know, I can only see my friends and I know that my friends have lots of friends and I have no way of contacting them or introducing them to each other. I want to build a business that does that. Yeah. And I said, fantastic. And he said, look, I know you've, you've uh, taken companies public. Um, I want you on the team. And so I was his micro angel investor. I, I put my heart and soul into it and became yeah. his founder and, we were from from the moment of inception to the moment of being cash flow positive took us ninety days. Wow, that's um, um, that's that's not a not a traditional Web two story, is it? <laughs> no, and the more I look back at at the different things that I've invested in and been part of, the ones that were bootstrapped and that. Um, strived really hard for early profitability have been the ones that I've actually made money. Mm. And the ones where, uh, you know, I've been part of a big investment round and they've gone off with, you know, a couple of million bucks to, to, to rule the world have all failed. Yeah. And I've my shirt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's... Uh, that's uh... Uh, I guess just uh, an occupational hazard of of that style of investing, but um, well, yeah, you say you say that, but but you know when you look at it, uh, yeah, a, a lot of VCs have told me, well, you know, one out of ten of our companies is really really good, yeah, and the other nine aren't so good. And I'm, I'm having personally experienced this. I, I think it's not just a 
a, a, a risk of the game. I think there's something wrong with the game. Right. Well, as a, as a fan of bootstrapping, um, and, and sort of bootstrapping's back in fashion, obviously, since, um, since finding finance is, um, a hard, hard, hard job to do. And since personal, personal wealth has, um, diminished somewhat over the last 18 months. Um, in those early days at Zing, I, I mean, bootstrapping is one thing, and of course, Facebook, Facebook, to all intents and purposes, was was bootstrapped um, as well. Um, how did, were you able to plan um, for, uh, for 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 growth to plan to to plan ways to make it go to use that word viral to make it you know start getting traction and momentum. Or was it a was it a, a struggle early on, or because you were making cash almost immediately, was it not a concern? I would say that if you look at networking, which is what both Lars and I were interested in, we mm. had this powerful group of people that that we were all connected to, and so that made us um, able to create that viral spread faster than most people. Yeah. I think the other balancing factor was that we had this team of developers called ePublica who all put in, you know, some of their time for equity. Yeah. And I think if you have a really good development team that are willing to have skin in the game and as much skin as possible, that makes all the difference. Yeah. Because you have to get the product right and you have to please people with whatever the product is. You've got to solve some pain for them. And I think when people look at viral networking they they miss some of the incentives they think well you know if it looks cool then people are going to do you know they're going to spread it around but but actually it's not about the product looking cool it's about who's cool that's using it yeah as much as it is how cool the product <laughs> is yeah and so yeah we had to put a lot of time and attention into it and it was something that that we spent years on really um you know perfecting over time uh, until until you know even even today I know that that occupies the the, the best and brightest thing yeah no absolutely well as a as a as an early open bc uh, member i've i've seen it evolve um uh, over time uh, the the rebranding to zing itself um uh, was a major deal why the rebranding well we were never really satisfied with the open bc name um, it was really just a placeholder so we could get off the ground. And we um, ran across a fellow called Thomas Gadd. He wrote a brilliant book called 4D Branding, and he was he helped Richard Branson brand Virgin and okay. Nokia brand their stuff. And he said, look, I've done a lot of rebrandings, and the, the fear is that you actually lose people when you do a rebrand. And his experience is that if you do it at all well, you actually gain more users from rebranding. You reactivate people with a rebrand, yeah, and and you get a few complaints, but the noisy complaints are are actually indicative of commitment. And um, we were doing the IPO anyway, so we were about to have a big PR push, and we thought, well, if we're going to do a rebrand, mm. you know, now's the time. Now, of course, to do an IPO and a rebrand rebrand again in ninety days, end to end, is insane. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah. So you're kind of paralleling your experience at um, at Davnet in terms of uh, velocity, <laughs> speed, and execution are everything. Yeah. Give me the best business idea in the world and uh, four euros, and I'll buy you a Starbucks. <laughs> 
Okay. Um, let's, let's move on a little bit because, uh, I mean, since then, of course, in 2007, you, you, you launched, um, another, uh, quite different, um, social network called neo.org, which is a sort of philanthropic, um, venture aimed at, well, tell us about neo. Tell us about what neo is about. Well, <clears throat> neo, neo has been a very, um, different sort of, uh, project for me because, I wanted to create something that would empower people and use the internet to do it. And I wanted to do it again bootstrapped, but of course as a as a charity you've got really no business model. Yeah. <laughs> at least at least for, for, for a long time, you know. Yeah. Um, and so I have had it's been quite a, a, a long and, and and slow process. And the power of that has been that we've really been able to to carefully think it through and actually test a lot of things and get it right. And the point of NEO is simply this. If you consider that the way we interact with reality is through language, mm-hmm. and if you consider that interpretation and, and perception of reality actually makes your life gives you the qualities of your life. Reality itself may not be mutable, but your language about it certainly is. Mm -hmm. So if you can shift your language about reality and particularly about the past and, and, and the future, you can actually shift your whole quality of life. And so Neo is designed to empower people to use a particular tool of language, which is a public declaration, to create new futures for themselves. Yeah. I've seen this work all over the world. So I thought, well, why not on the internet? And why not sort of hijack one of the other great internet services of this world, which is Twitter, Mm. and give a new interface for people to, um, instead of answer the question like, you know, what's happening and what are you doing, answer a question like, who are you being today? Mm. Who do you give? What do you promise? What do you stand for? Because these sorts of questions, I think, are, make compelling reading in the answering, but they also shift who you are. Yeah. And that's what Neo's about. And then on top of that, I th- we thought, well, wouldn't it be great if we could have people rewarding each other for good deeds or trading things to help each other in not, and have a virtual currency? And so we built that. And then I had this insight that because of the work that I'd done um, recently as a diplomat in service of St. Kitts with, with reforestation and, uh, you know, working on ways to end global warming within our lifetime or mm. climate within our lifetime, I realized that there were no virtual currencies that were backed by something really concrete. And it struck me that if you could back a virtual currency with a living tree, yeah, that would both give you a real concrete value, something that's amazingly powerful, but it also give you something that grows in value over time mm. because you sequester more carbon with it over time. And so we actually have the world's first carbon offset currency built in there as well. And Neo now has a fully fledged subsidiary called WeForest that has targeting reforesting 20 million square kilometers of the planet by 2020 and all bootstrapped. Yeah. Which is which is why I said at the at the kind of outset that you, in many respects you're kind of an entrepreneur or a business thinker of our time. Our time being one where uh, social enterprise, where uh, concern from the for the environment, and where changing yourself and uh, making the world a better place are becoming 
or a much, 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 much bigger part of a whole generation's focus. How have you come to, to, to sort of this point? Well, interestingly, I came to it from a very unusual perspective. It's, it, it's you know, I was 27, had my um, first child on the way, uh, was in a dead-end job, and I came across this concept that, that, you know, you could actually change who you are. You could actually Im- improve your life, and particularly mm. through language. And so I, I, I'd set about doing this sort of personal development things and, and trying various, various things. And then I came across this NGO called The Hunger Project. Yeah. And the country director for India was visiting Australia, and I, I met her, and she asked me a question. She said, Bill... Who would you have to become in order to pledge a really significant amount of money to the Hunger Project without pain? Yeah. And I realized that that was someone who I wasn't, <laughs> someone who I'd really like to be. Yeah. And so I made the pledge and I completely changed my life and set about fulfilling that pledge. And I did. And within a very short period of time of fulfilling that first pledge, I, I actually became wealthy. Yeah. It took a hell of a lot of hard work, but the thing that was amazing was that until that point, I hadn't seen that that was in my potential to be that way. Mm. It was only after I had made that pledge and, and, and seen a new future and started sharing it with people that I saw that I could become, you know, wealthy, but also to do good while I did well. Yeah. Um, and so I, I've come to it sort of through, through the opposite opposite way. I, I actually made my first pledges and, and investments in in uh, not for profits before I had any wealth. Yeah, well, now this is it is the it's you know it's it's sort of back to front, but um, but also fascinating in that um, you know a lot of people say you know entrepreneurs make their own luck or um, you know create something from nothing. Um, and and that's very much been your story, creating something from nothing, hasn't it? And in fact, uh, your um, your book is kind of subtitled Stone Soup, which we'll talk a little bit about. Um, is is subtitled uh, that I think, isn't it? Yes, the secret recipe of making something from nothing. Yeah. And is it you know you say you know you say you made a decision, um, and and it, you know there's a lot, there's a lot about sort of thinking positively and being proactive. And believing that you're in control of your own life and destiny, which are, which I think is a, a, a tra- an entrepreneurial trait, even though you know you've subsequently proved your entrepreneurial spurs, as it were. But at the at the time, uh, you you probably hadn't uh, realised you were you, you had that potential. Think is thinking positively enough? I mean, you said it was a lot of hard work. Do, can people can ev- can everybody really change their lives in that way, or did you just get lucky? <laughs> <laughs> um, the answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you look at thinking positively, and there have been some wonderful studies about this, I highly recommend Richard Wiseman's book Fifty Nine Seconds on this topic. Yeah. Um, people who think positively are no better off than people who think negatively. Uh, I think it was uh, George, George Bernard Shaw who said, um, optimists invent airplanes, pessimists invent parachutes, <laughs> and thus there is a place for everyone in this world. Yeah. Um, what I've seen firsthand many times is that thinking 
that you can't certainly becomes true. Mm. Thinking that you can doesn't do anything for you except give you an access to take action to make it so. Yeah. And that's the difference. You know, if you get, you know, um, if you read the talent code, you, you can see that, that and I, I truly believe this hypothesis, if you get inspired by something and you work really hard and practice at it, you will become good at it. And your innate talent is actually, can be overcome. The level of your innate talent can be overcome by the work you put in. Yeah. Um, and I see a lot of people who go to personal development stuff and they just go to that and go to that and go to that and they never get anywhere. And it's usually because they just don't put the real work in. Yeah, yeah. And um, so, yeah, I, I, I'm not a great believer in luck. I think, you know, um, there is an element of luck. The element of luck was that I was born in the West mm. uh, in, a, in a first world country uh, with good health care. Um, that was lucky. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, the fact that all of my ancestors survived to the point that I am here today <laughs> is incredibly lucky. Yes. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, is it, is it my specific luck? You know, is there something particularly lucky about what I did? No, it was a hell of a lot of hard work. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, that first insight that, wow, yeah, my words about myself are mutable. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Now, um Stone Soup this book is uh, is I was saying to you before we started is one of the most um unusual business books and 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 in some would say, you know, not a business book at all <laughs> um <laughs> that I've ever read. Uh and it centers around um a kind of almost like mythical storytelling to inspire um people in their lives and their businesses um and in the way they interact with the world and so to that extent it's a fascinating project and and storytelling is one of the things that you know small biz pod has always been about but much more literal um tell us about about this mythical element of of the the story just give us a little um synopsis and why you chose to write this book the way you did Absolutely. Uh, f from the outset, though, I have to be precise with the language. It's folkloric. Okay. It's not mythical. Yeah. Um, I'm not a great believer in myth. Yeah. <laughs> and woo woo. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I saw a, a wonderful um, presentation by one of the great skeptics of the world, the great Randini where he started off by downing an entire bottle of homeopathic sleeping pills. Um, he didn't tell us this. He just, <laughs> and then halfway through the presentation, he said, well, here are these homeopathic sleeping pills, and I just took a massive overdose. But for some reason, it just doesn't seem to kill me. Uh, <laughs> and and I'm, I'm not saying that belief and faith aren't, uh, are, are bad things. I think they're, they're incredibly useful things. It's just that... that uh, over reliance on faith and uh, you know on, on faith in particular can can be your downfall. Mm. Um, when I came to write Stone Soup, my grandmother used to tell me the story of Stone Soup, the the, the folkloric tale, which is a story about a, a magician who comes to a village and basically in, in a famine time um, convinces everyone to contribute something to to a pot of magic soup, which is where he's boiling his magic stone. Mm. And at the end, everyone gets a feast. 
Um, and, you know, some people see that as, oh, well, this magician came and tricked everyone out of a free meal for himself. But the, I, I, I see it quite differently. Here's somebody who came in, told a wonderful story, got everyone to contribute something and then shared the benefits widely and everyone benefited from the sense of community and involvement that he created. Yeah. And it was all done through a narrative. And, you know, years later when I came to say, well, I really want to share some of the things I've learned. How do I do this? I realized that my grandmother's story was actually the thing that would, would, it would hang together on. Yeah. Because that's what an entrepreneur does. They get inspired by something, they believe it themselves, and then they start sharing it with people. They have a narrative. And the more potent their narrative, the more likely it is to become reality. Because more pe the more people who contribute anything, the more real it becomes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and really, the, the, the inspiration and the narrative come from no place. You know, one day you're, you're, you're sitting, you're standing in the shower and then, oh, you have this idea and then you start to, to <laughs> think about it and it irritates you and then, good, you, you actually turn it into a story. Yeah. And you really get something from nothing. It didn't exist before. And, of course, starting a business is, um, is in many respects, telling a story in action. <laughs> well, it, I personally believe the first thing you actually have to do is tell a story in reality. You have yeah. to build a narrative. And then, and only then, can you really inspire people to action. And is that your is is that, is that over over the, the your your business career? Is that the the key one of the keys to leadership that you've you've learned along the way? It is yeah. Leadership is one of these funny things. Everyone talks about how to be a better leader, and very few people actually define what leadership is. Yeah. And, and the reason for that is, in my, in my experience, you know, working with some pretty clever people, that leadership is a multidimensional thing. It's a, um, an aggregate of various dimensions put together that we all can recognize as leadership, but it's actually quite difficult to describe. And one of these ingredients in leadership, uh, I think it's incredibly powerful, is a future that wasn't going to happen anyway. Mm. And the only way to create a future that wasn't going to happen anyway is to have a story that is powerful about a new future that yeah. looks different to what you know is pretty much going to happen if nothing changes. And that is leadership. Yeah. And that's leadership for uh, entrepreneurs, for startups, for growing businesses, for big businesses. But it's also that attitude is uh, leadership for actually for, for each and every one of us who want to change the way things are in the world, whether that be you know climate change or um, you know eliminating child poverty or, or, or whatever. Um, the the parallels are there, aren't they? Absolutely. Pick your development goal. <laughs> yeah, they all succumb to this kind of um, this aspect of leadership. Yeah, it is only one aspect. There are many, many others, but uh, of course, yeah, don't have the hours. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, um, let's just finally move on to um, social entrepreneurship. There was a uh, a period w which, perhaps unsurprisingly, coincided with uh, the big um, collapse of uh, or near collapse of the financial system and and the uh, fervent. Um, 
anger directed at, uh, at many of the uh, the banking companies and, and directors and so on and so forth where um, social enterprise have had a you know had its had an opportunity had a, an opportunity to, to to be recognized as uh, a new and um, different way of doing business a, a more caring way of doing business what's your view of social enterprise and where it is today I think a lot of social enterprises is, is just brilliant. Yeah. Um, I can tell you that in my experience, charity does more harm than good. Mm-hmm. Um, and giving people things, if you give people stuff, they, you tend to take away their self-esteem. And the self-esteem seems uh, a cheap thing when somebody's starving, but actually it's the only gateway to, to sustainably end their poverty. Yeah, um, and so anything that anyone does that has an aspect of sustainability in it, that can, you know, you create a social enterprise that that will continue to run without your initial impetus, and will involve people on a local level to improve their lives, um, in a, in a way that can be ongoing and maintained is just completely necessary. Um, when we when we look at our work with We Forests, it's all about uh, creating permaculture gardens and forests so that local peoples can feed themselves, get income, get you know uh, a, a lifestyle improvement that's ongoing and sustainable. That's that's going to be the key to to reforesting our planet and ending ending global warming or, mm. or climate change. Mm. Um, conversely. Um, I, I met a, a guy in Uganda who was one of their, you know, who was a farmer who had turned into a, a, a near beggar because he'd been, he had to give up his land because he couldn't sell his crops because for years in his region um, there was so much food aid dumped in his area that there was no market. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and he and 30 other farmers in the region actually approached the particular aid agency and said, well, look, can we sell you our food to be redistributed? And the aid agency in question, who I won't mention, said, well, we'll lose our 5013C status and we aren't insured for that. So, <laughs> no. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, incredible. Incredible. Um, all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, and um just uh, one final question um you're obviously you know you you uh, invest in businesses in startups you vc or an, or an angel investor if you like a um, micro angel micro angel i i like it <laughs> don't give those startups too much money that's what i say exactly <laughs> uh, you know microcredit works and and being a micro angel works really well um, yeah. as i said earlier Every every time I've invested a large amount of money, I've lost my shit. <laughs> How does um, investment fit with, or does it even fit with, social entrepreneurship? A lot of sort of traditional angels and VCs say, "No, well, we can't touch social entrepreneur, social enterprise." And although there are some very key examples in the UK, um, uh, in particular of of foundations that are set up to provide funding and seed capital and and loans to social enterprises um can an angel invest in a social enterprise uh, presumably not for the money but for their own kind of sense of well-being would that be the case i think if you're just doing it for your own sense of well-being you're doing it for the wrong reasons yeah um 
and that's probably a failure of imagination. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that we, well, I know that we are in many places, um, yeah, on the verge of social unrest in in, 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 in many places, and, and certainly that there are huge negative impacts from unsustainable practice that will eventually affect every business if, if we don't start turning the ship around a bit. Yeah. Um, so I think that there is a valid case both for um, creating a, a better business environment in which you can do other things that are profitable, um, you know, and for also um, not just feel good but, but more um, be good that uh, really you can make a, a case for that kind of investment, but it, it's a hard case to make. I mean, there's, and ultimately, I'm still a believer in bootstrapping. Yeah, you know, uh, I, I think you should bootstrap your social and social entrepreneurship as well. I mean, Neo and WeForest weren't given big budgets; they were they were you know assemble, create a vision, assemble a team, and and off you go. Yeah, um, it's really really hard to see where you could apply to a social enterprise, uh, you know, millions and millions of dollars, and have it actually have a positive benefit. Okay, so where has money then, where has investment done damage? Well, I'll tell you something that I learned from um, a friend in South America. Mm -hmm. And this guy, I I really trust and believe in this guy. And and, and his father was a really um, quite a well-connected journalist in the region. And uh, they used to have a guy come to dinner who actually turned out to be a spy. Right, and uh, I'm not going to say who for. <laughs> no, no, no. This is turning into a great story already. Oh. And, and this spy said, "Look, you know, he he used to. He was actually quite a nice guy, but he he was tasked. You know, he believed in in. He was a rabid anti-communist, right? Mm-hmm. And so while he was quite intelligent and everything else, he really just hated communism. And there was this movement in some of the South American regions a village-led grassroots movement for to form cooperatives and and communes and they were actually taking off and and this was very very concerning to this particular intelligence agency and their their group and so they 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 looked at ways of unpicking this this uh, unity Mm -hmm. and after trying everything from military exercises to 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 uh, a range of other unsavory tactics they hit upon, upon this thing they would go to the chief of a, a village where this was happening and they would hand him over $1,000 and they would say, listen, you're in charge of disseminating this money. It's just for the benefit of the community. And as they left, they would tell everyone that they'd given the chief the money. Oh. And apparently within a few, a, a, you know, as little as a week, any cooperative movement would just fly apart. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so money really is the root of all evil. <laughs> uh, I don't think it's the root of all evil, but it's certainly attached to our brain stems. Yeah. Um, if you read the book Sway, there's been some excellent work done on, on brain scanning, and it seems that money activates part of our uh, primitive brain, mm-hmm. and uh, whereas uh, altruistic endeavor is a higher brain function, and okay. the two are mutually incompatible. Huh. So, um, and, and they gives this great example in the book of if you, if you go to, uh, you know, your friend and he asks you, hey, look, can you, you know, come and help me move house on Saturday because I'm being evicted? If he's your best friend, you're going to do that, right? Yeah. 
But if you turn up on the Saturday morning expecting a, a whole day of labor, and he says, oh, yeah, Alex, thank you so much for coming. By the way, here's, here's 10 pounds for your trouble. You don't keep thinking altruistically at that moment. Yeah. yeah. Your brain goes into <laughs> assessment mode and you think, hmm, a day of labor. For a tenner. 10 pounds. <laughs> exactly. Really insulted. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, no, that's, that's, that's so true. And so such a sort of fascinating insight, actually. Um, and, and, you know, I think that's true for business. I think it's true for social enterprise. You know, if, if people are thinking about the, the cost-benefit analysis yeah. and they're using their, their primitive value judgment, um, we, you just can't get anything done. And, and that's one of the great dangers of raising money and, or, or getting big investment is that, that people stop thinking yeah. in a realistic way and they start thinking just for themselves and the whole thing flies apart. That's uh, yeah, that's fascinating. Actually, um, it's um, a, a, probably an interesting place to leave it. Just one uh, final thing: um, your book, of course, has a little bit of micro micro invest angel, or micro angel investment attached to it. Tell us yes. about um, tell us about that and where people can can find Stone Soup. Well, um, when I uh, you know I've met a lot of big VCs and 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 others and and a couple of them have this policy that you can only get investment from them if if you get introduced by someone they know and trust. Yeah. Um, and they say outright, well, you know, if you can't find someone to, to that's, that we trust to introduce you, well, <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Um, and I thought that's really excellent. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good test of people's networking skills. So, I, and and I'm actually up for pretty much investing in any business in a micro way. Yeah. And so I thought, well, why don't I set a little challenge? You know, um, it, to you know, if you can get introduced to me by someone I actually know and trust. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll, and, and you're willing to to use the principles in the book. You know, uh, you can have me as an investor. You know, that's a, I'll, I'll look at your plan, and if it stacks up, why not? Uh, and I'm much easier to get to invest than a, a traditional big VC because it's a, it's a small amount of money and a, a very simple system. So I said, this is the stone soup challenge. Yeah, come and get it. Come and get me as your investor. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I hope I hope listeners will um, seek out the book and then um, use of all, use all of their, their their zing network and beyond to um, to, to. Oh, absolutely. Well, I'm I'm on every social network, but uh, you know, not every person I'm connected to are my best friends that no, I trust completely. No. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, <laughs> it's not to say that I'm not picky. It's just that 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 you know, I'm, I'm I've got a lot of connections. Yeah. Um, one thing, though, I would like to plug is is our my little website for Stone Soup, which is stonesoupway.com. Yeah, sure. Well, okay. We'll we'll put a link in the in the show notes and uh, and also a link to uh, uh, to the book on Amazon. Thanks, thanks, Alex. That's very much appreciated. So there we are, uh, an astounding guy. Really, really uh, uplifting interview. I think. I hope you'll agree. Do let me have your feedback. Send anything to alex at smallbizpod.co.uk and do check out Bill's book as well and uh, seek out some of that micro angel funding uh, if you dare. Okay, um, that's about it. Don't forget to uh, check out Crush It, the Gary Vaynerchuk audiobook, which you can download for free by going to audible.co.uk forward slash smallbizpod. Um, you just you put in your credit card details, but you can cancel and keep your free book, so uh, no need to worry about that. 
but uh, I think that once you get into audiobooks, you'll uh, you'll want to keep that subscription going. I certainly am addicted to them, and uh, great great uh, way of uh, reading when, uh, like all of us, you're 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 tired, your your eyes are tired from from work, from all the reading you have to do. Audiobooks on the train, in the car, uh, uh, when you're lying in bed. Great great way of of reading. So. Check out the Gary Vaynerchuk book, and I'll recommend another one uh, for the, in the next episode. Other than that, uh, just our final choice of, of tune to end the podcast as usual, and this is a really beautiful, chilled, ambient piece of electronica called Nature is Chill. It's by Dennis Rusnak, and uh, with thanks to Iota Promenade. <laughs> 